Hey, how's everyone doing? Welcome to Dojo Talks. This is episode uh, 11. How's everyone doing in, in the chat? Um, I think I think the sound is good, so I'm just going to roll with it. We've got with us another special guest, uh, John Hartman, who is the current uh, Chess Life magazine and Chess Life online uh, editor. Um, I'm going to throw it to John in just a sec, but I, I believe John started out as just the uh, online editor for US Chess and uh, then recently moved to actually helping out with the uh, the magazine. Um, but first, yeah, let's have John give us a little bit of your uh, background. We're going to be talking a lot about engines today, um, so maybe you can include um, your interest in chess engines and, and how far that goes back. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, it's a really it's it's a real treat to be on uh, the Chess Dojo, and uh, I keep up with a lot of what you guys are doing, and it's it's very exciting for me to be here, especially after following Sham, uh, Sam Shankland. Um, that was quite an episode you guys did. So yeah, so I um I've been interested in computer chess since the early to mid '90s. Um, I used Chessbase when it was in DOS, if you can remember when uh, DOS was a thing. Uh, Kosya, I don't think was born yet. Probably when that happened, but that's okay. Yeah, I remember uh, Pentium. That's the oldest word. Pentium. Yeah, <laughs> my first computer was a 486 DX2 running at 66 megahertz, not gigahertz, megahertz. <laughs> Uh, I think the hard drive was 40 megabytes in in uh, in size. So this and we paid $3,500 for that computer because it was state of the art. Um, yeah, we've I, I've always sort of had an interest in computers, and a lot of it had to do with my uncle, who um, uh, he he was a <laughs> he was a sort of a ex hippie who really got into technology and always had. Uh, like Commodore 60, a portable Commodore 64 at his house when I would play Zaxxon on. Uh, and so, you know, through him, I, I kind of learned to really have an interest in computers. In grad school, I uh, had an assistantship where I was fixing computers all across the uh, College of Liberal Arts at Southern Illinois University. And over the years, I just um, became really, really interested in using computers to try to... Uh, squeak out whatever chess talent I had to make it and maximize it. Um, you know, I am, I'm not a talented chess player in any way, uh, shape or form. And uh, through technology, I think I've been able to sort of eke out the, the very last bits of, of my abilities. Uh, so yeah, I've been interested in engines for years and years and years and uh, have been writing about them. My first quasi-academic article was called um, uh, Gary Kasparov is a cyborg or what uh, chess base can teach us about the philosophy of technology. And I, I talked about um, the Kasparov Deep Blue match, and I talked about a game where uh, this master I knew used Fritz to come up with a novelty to defeat Igor Novikov in a, in a local club game. And so we talked about Bruno Latour and actor network theory and Martin Heidegger and uh, all sorts of fun things. And, and ultimately I argued that Gary Kasparov was a cyborg, um, which was kind of a bold thing to say back in 2008. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's been a long time, and um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I think um, this field is not going anywhere. Chess and technology are kind of fundamentally intertwined right now. Uh, John, let me ask, um, it's a great introduction, and one thing I'm sure people would want to know about before we get into all these beautiful other topics is, could you describe, like, your chess journey in terms of, like, uh, maybe a approximate rating of where you felt you were 
before your the computer helped you and then like how far you actually think the computer took you because i thought it was interesting and i'm sure others did too that you said the computer you know you eked out uh whatever you had through the computer sure um i think the best way to put it and i said this on um i think my first appearance on the perpetual chess podcast i am roughly i think about a 1500 talent and through hard work, I've gotten almost to 1900. Now that has fallen off in the past year. Um, after I, I, a great, uh, I mean, a really great event at the U.S. Open where I took the under 1800 prize, um, I'm back down to 1765. And part of that is that um, I haven't had a lot of time to train recently, uh, just because of um, all the chest life work and some health issues, which have been kind of a, a drag. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I've got a six-year-old, so it's, it's better to play with her than to, uh, look at Botvinnik. But, you know, when I moved out to Omaha, I was probably rated around 1500 or 1600. And then I started seriously trying to work on my chess and using, trying to seriously learn how to use chess base to, uh, not just, you know, analyze my games, not just work on my openings, but. Um, try to find patterns in my own play, try to play through the games of great players and do it more quickly. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier to zip through 20 games of, you know, Alyekin on a, on a 2D board as opposed to a 3D board. Uh, and I think all of that taken together and sort of um, some intensive uh, study of my opponents. Uh, you know, I, I, for, for years, I would collect all the, the game scores from local events and, and put them into the computer and then give them to our our bulletin editor here in Nebraska. Um, I think all of that kind of got me a lot further than I would have gotten on my own. Um, and especially, you know, since um, I've been fortunate to have some uh, titled friends who have been more than willing to look at chess with me, but doing a lot of the work on my own, um, having you know, a super grandmaster living on my desk is, has always been very, very useful, I think, for, for self-improvement. Mm -hmm. no, that's an interesting answer. Um, actually, right now, I'm going to add, we have a list of stuff that we want to talk about on the show. And the, the question I've heard from others that, that you would actually be interested, we, we should probably continue, but the question just for a further show, I think, is at, how strong do you have to be for a computer to help you both chess space and engines? And I, I have a feeling there are widely divergent opinions on that one. You know, but I'll leave, we'll leave that for another yeah, show. We can, um, we can talk about that actually for question number four. I think that would be useful. That, that's right. Yeah. Um, Perfect. But uh, yeah, real quick, let me give a shout out to John's um, YouTube channel. Uh, I'm going to link it to it in the, uh, in the chat. Uh, John just has some useful tutorials for like chess base. And I don't know if you're planning on doing more videos, John, but hopefully new subscribers will, will push you. <laughs> So yeah, the, the hard thing about that is, um, and I, I think we were talking a little bit this uh, about this, Jesse and I, before we got on, on uh, before we went live, a lot of these initiatives I started um, in terms of video and also my website, um, they were right before I got hired for US Chess. Mm. And so a lot of the, the video things I'm trying to do now have been on the US Chess YouTube channel. So for example, you can go there and see a tutorial on how to install Leela on your computer. Um, oh, I've also got a, a video series which uh, has gotten a little bit uh, pushed to the wayside um, just because of, we've been so busy with the magazine, um, but called Leveling Up, where we look at the games of 
amateur players, like under 1200, and then try to tease out mistakes and, and common themes and, and tips you can use to improve your own game. That would all would have been on my own YouTube channel, but now it's on uh, the U.S. Chess YouTube channel. So you can go there as well to find me. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. All right, let's get into it. Uh, I'm going to highlight our first topic here. And um, this is going to be about uh, the recently released Stockfish 12. Um, let me find the right, right color here. It was... If I keep looking to the side, by the way, that's because uh, I've got the, the Twitch stream up on my other screen. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Stockfish 12, the latest version of Stockfish is, I'm going to start the, uh, the timer as well, um, is unlike previous versions of Stockfish because it, it incorporates this new like neural network uh, as part of its evaluation. And I've heard a lot of really good things about it, a lot of hype, and I used it on um, some problems that... I like gave to Stockfish 11 before, and I feel like Stockfish 12, from what I remember, like did much better compared to like, you know, you would expect a 5% improvement and it was like a 50% improvement in terms of yeah. it's like puzzle solving skills. So let me, let me ask John, like how good is it and, and why is the new one so much better? So I think the, the most current estimates that I saw are that it is maybe hundred to 120 ELO points stronger than Stockfish 11. That's in in the computer world. That is a very big improvement. Um, you know, normally iterations of Stockfish come out when there's about a fifty to sixty point gain, mm. and this new NNUE technology, as soon as they put it in, um, within a month they were able to release a new version of Stockfish, which is um, testament to how how important this is. So, just to sort of give the backstory. Um, this NNUE, um, and I, I, I don't remember exactly what the, the anagram stands, uh, stands for, uh, but basically it's, it's, it's porting back technology from the Shogi world. Um, Shogi engines for a long time have been borrowing ideas from Stockfish, uh, in particular the, the search, the, the way that Stockfish navigates a game tree. Almost all of that in Shogi engines, in the top Shogi engines, comes from Stockfish. Uh, but very few ideas from Shogi were making it back to Stockfish, to chess Stockfish, until a few months ago when someone decided to try this NNUE, this, this type of neural network that is um, usable for CPUs. So neural networks traditionally have relied on a very different sort of mathematics, a very different sort of computational uh, requirement, and they had to have a very good graphics card to run Leela or Fat Fritz. Uh, in contrast, this, this NNUE, this, this sort of relatively thin neural network, um, it's something that can be run on your CPU without too much of a performance hit. So right now, if you compare like Stockfish 11 to Stockfish 12 with a neural network, Stockfish 12 maybe goes at 60 to 70% of the speed you would have seen before, but it more than makes up for that with the advances in the evaluation. Um, the, the way it was created is by feeding this self-learning um, mechanism or the self-learning algorithm, a whole bunch of different positions that had already been analyzed by Stockfish at depths of anywhere from eight to 12 ply. Mm -hmm. So ply or half move. So you're talking about four to six full moves deep. And the reason that seems pretty shallow is that on a modern CPU, you know, Stockfish can do that almost instantaneously. Right. So they were able to generate a whole lot of data 
feed it into this learning algorithm. Um, and relatively quickly, the evaluation, which is the part that looks at the position and sort of tries to figure out who's winning and why, or, or who's better and why, um, it was markedly better than the, the handcrafted evaluation that took years and years and years to create. So, you know, it, it's a huge advance. Um, and I think, yeah, as you say, I think players, players are always going to find positions that they disagree with the engine with. But more often than not, Stockfish 12, I think, is going to give you better, um, more accurate or, or, more, or more reasonable answers than, than its predecessors. Can, can I just get a, a layman's view of this? So what it was taking back from the Shogi world was the way it was using the AI in processing the positions. Correct. So, yeah, so th there are really two parts to an engine, right? The evaluation, which is um, in Stockfish, at least traditionally, you could go, there's a website called like a Stockfish Evaluation Guide. And you could actually plug in the FEN, the, 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 the Forsyth, whatever it is, notation. Right. And it would give you a mathematical breakdown of how Stockfish understood the position, right? Mm, right. Uh, maybe one side had more space. Maybe one side had uh, a bad bishop, maybe a backward pawn. And through the years, there's this, been this handcrafted evaluation that, that was able to quantify that in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And then using that, Stockfish would search, um, you know, millions and millions of positions a second. And at each position, it would do this evaluation and it would prune away the, the elements of the tree, this, the tree of variations that, that um, Kotov talked about. It would prune away all the stuff that wasn't useful and it would keep the things that made sense or it would keep the, the best lines of play for both sides. Um, when the NNUE neural network was incorporated, basically all it did was replace the evaluation. The search mechanism is exactly the same. So that's why Stockfish 12, um, actually the internal guts of the engine still contain that classical handcrafted evaluation. Um, but the new evaluation it replaces that handcrafted one. And it's, it's, I mean, I hesitate to use the word accuracy because I mean, you know, these things are ungodly sharp, you know, regardless of, I mean, they're going to beat every human on the planet a hundred to nothing to, to answer that question you had on Twitter. Um, <laughs> you know, um, maybe Carlson gets a draw every now and again, but not much. Uh, you know, that said, this new innovation is it's, it's proving its worth. Um, it, it, it beats classic stockfish fairly handily. And it, um, you know, you, you can argue about the, 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 the hardware that was used in the TCEC competitions, but it does seem to beat Leela um, relatively convincingly. So it's, it's the strongest chess entity on the planet. So um, just for another layman's question. So when, when a guy like me goes to download the Stockfish, when I just download Stockfish 12 without the neural network thing, I'm just downloading the ancient algorithm with various, uh, like you said, things for pawns and bishops. Mm -hmm. and, and then it's only when I do the neural network, when you say the new thing, that's really what you're talking about. So out of the box, Stockfish 12 will generally use the new thing, the NNUE, but there are situations where it will revert to the classical. So I think if it gets to a high enough evaluation of the position, 
um, it will revert to the classical evaluation because it's much faster and can search much deeper. Okay. Um, there are, you know, I think there are also some end games, maybe where there, um, there's limited material on the board where it may switch to the uh, the NNU to the to the classical evaluation, just because um, in in something approaching theoretical end games where there's table bases involved, um, speed becomes more important than you know, whether or not the evaluation is, is slightly better. Um, so Pulsi is chiming in that, right, it's automatically bundled in. Yep. And so why do, do or maybe I don't, why do I need to do what Kostya wanted me to do, which was to get the NNUE thing in there? So that's the thing. That's, that's the thing is it's out of the box. If you download Stockfish 12 from the uh -huh. Stockfish Chess website, right? you don't need to do anything. It should be bundled into the exact uh -huh. file. Now, in a, in, a, in a little while, when, I, when we talk about the special compilation I have, uh, when we talk about using them for analysis, it's a little bit different, but we can talk about why I've decided to separate them out just for my own analytical purposes. I see. Okay. Okay, yeah, actually, that was that really helpful. A good thing yeah. to talk about right now. John has a link sure. for um, everyone in the chat. If you want to download uh, John's specific version, which is... Uh, like like you just said, separating out the neural network with the classical evaluation, you should uh, visit his site, uh, firstlookchess.com. And you mentioned that it would be more useful for analysis, but I'm guessing the reason they they have it out of the box like that is that it's stronger for uh, in its playing strength? Yeah, so there are things that the Stockfish mods have done because they work well in engine versus engine play. Right. right. So, you know, TCEC or any of the competitions, they're all engine against engine. And for example, uh, they have a contempt factor built into the engine so that um, it always, Stockfish always evaluates its position as being about a quarter of a pawn better than by itself the evaluation says it should. And the reason it does that is um, it, they want the engine to keep playing, even if it's slightly worse, because they're confident that it can either outplay the other engine or at least, you know, hold a draw in a slightly worse position. That's so funny. Um, which is, you know, th that's great for, for engine competition, but for analysis, it, it's a real pain. Right. Yeah, terrible. Um, especially because the way it's configured out of the box, if you're using the classical evaluation like Stockfish 11 or, you know, any of the older ones, uh, in analysis mode, it'll actually bounce back and forth. So first it'll give you know, white a quarter of a pawn extra, then it'll give black a quarter of a pawn extra. So you'll see the evaluation bouncing as you move from side to side. Um, I started compiling my own version that took that out. And then, um, because I don't, I don't like the fact that the engine, that Stockfish 12 out of the box will, will vary between the, the NNUE and the classical evaluation on its own without telling you. Um, I found a way to sort of separate that. So what I did is I compiled versions that are strictly NNUE or purely NNUE. They won't revert to classical. And then I've also got a version that is purely classical. And the reason I do that, um, you know, and we'll talk about this when we're using engines for improvement. The thing to understand is that they are not oracles, right? Engines, um, they need to be read. All, you know, you need to have a hermeneutic of understanding what a chess engine is or, and, and what it's telling you. So, if you're used to Stockfish and you know what, you know, plus 0.25 is on a classical evaluation um, and you want to stay with that because you understand it and it helps you in your analysis, that's why I created the, the classical version. 
Um, if you want the more precise quote unquote one, if you want to use the NNUE, then you've got that one too. And you don't have to worry about, you know, remembering which one is operating when. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was so annoying about previous versions where you have a position, yeah, it's saying white is slightly better. You play the top engine move, all of a sudden it's equal. You play the top engine move again, all of a sudden white is slightly better. It just, it just drives you crazy. Yeah. I mean, that was, and um, you know, and then for what it's worth, I mean, there are some people who disagree with this approach. Um, and, and, you know, however you use the engine to, to understand what's going on is, is fine. This is just something that's worked for me. Um, and I, you know, I, anecdotal evidence suggests that, that, um, players much stronger than me find it useful too. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you, you want the eval, like if, if I run the engine for like five minutes and it's giving me an evaluation, that's fine. That doesn't have to be the truth of the position, but once I go to the next line, the evaluation shouldn't just drop immediately as if like, right. <laughs> just completely right. like that. Yeah. That was always crazy to me. Um, all right. Well, time's up for this topic. Let's move on to the uh, next one, which is going to be what it is the current status of um, the other top engines, Leela, Komodo, and, and maybe some others that we haven't really heard of yet. Sure. Uh, well, let's let's talk about the the classical evaluation for ones first. Um, for a long time, uh, Houdini was the uh, the top dog uh, for for quite a few years uh, after Ribka uh, came and went. Um, as it turned out, some people did some reverse engineering. And Houdini was kind of a doctored up version of Stockfish. <laughs> uh, so there were some um, uh, GPL, uh, you know, uh, 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 some possible GPL violations that, that came into play. I'm, I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying this, is, this has been reported in the computer chess world. Um, I am not a programmer, so I have not investigated the code. Um, but I think there's a reason that Houdini is no longer really under development. Um, there, there were some issues there that, that were troubling. Um, Komodo, uh, which has been the second strongest alpha beta handcrafted engine for a long time, mm -hmm. is up to version 14. Um, and it's funny, I, I, I have corresponded a bit with the authors of Komodo, uh, Grandmaster Larry Kaufman and Mark Leffler. And I dropped them a line yesterday and said, hey, um, I'm going on the Chess Dojo show. Um, they, they want to, they wanted to talk about the current status of different engines. Uh, what's going on with Komodo? And I got an email, email back this morning saying, well, we don't have anything to announce right now, but, um, you can tell the viewers that rest assured progress is being made and there should be an announcement about a new version of Komodo soon. Um, purely speculation on my part. I, I think from things I've read over at the computer chess forum, which, uh, talkchess.com, which if, if you're interested in the nerdery, the, the, the nuts and bolts of chess engines, it's a great place to go. Um, there are some indications that they've been working with neural networks in Komodo. Maybe not the same thing as Stockfish, maybe something where they've been trying to marry um, like traditional Komodo with something like Leela. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't have any hard evidence of that. I, I do know that there is something coming, I just don't know what it is. Gotcha. Um, and then that really takes us to sort of the big dog, uh, which is Leela chess. Um, yeah, so Leela, I mean, Leela revolutionized the game. Uh, and, you know, I, I think any, you know, you guys probably are, are assuming that you have done some work with it. You're, you're probably able to attest to this much more strongly than I am. But there's been a very real sense that 
with the introduction of these neural networks, um, chess research, chess opening research has opened up again in a way um, that has been very exciting for top players. Uh, you know, th there was a there was a tweet, uh, like, a, you know, they cut it from a Twitch stream where Christian Chirilla and Alejandro Ramirez were talking about working with Leela, an early version of Leela, for the match, uh, the Caruana-Carlson match, when they were seconding uh, Caruana. Mm -hmm. And they said that once they started using Leela, um, they said, I, I believe the, the, the quote was, everything changed. You know, some lines that they thought were unplayable using Stockfish and Komodo uh, suddenly were completely playable again. And other ones that they... They thought they had solved. Uh, there were brand new problems to deal with. So, you know, Leela just um, completely reopened the field of computer chess research. And, and today, I think, you know, the top players are using both of these things. They're, they're using Stockfish and Leela to really try to get, um, you know, the, the best out of both and to generate uh, usable ideas. Yeah, so I have a kind of a maybe beginner question, but like, how do they... How do they improve Leela? Is it more of the same like neural network process where they just try to feed it a lot of games? So Leela is um, there are a few offshoots or different networks you can that you can download that have been trained in different ways. Um, Fat Fritz, which is a Leela-like network that is being sold by Chessbase, right. that has been trained through self-training, where the engine plays itself um, uh, to to improve. But it also was fed, you know, millions of human games and and uh, other strong computer games to sort of train it. Leela on its own is completely self-learning. So, you know, it, it begins with uh, just knowledge of the rules. And then through millions and millions and millions of generations, it eventually learns to play better and better moves as time goes on. Um, the problem is, and I think they're facing this right now with the excuse me, with the, um, the, 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 the sixth generation or the, the, the 60 series, that after a certain point, uh, the learning really, really slows down and it's hard to make improvement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, right now, Leela, if you, if you have a strong GPU and you go to the Leela Chess website, they'll give you a way to contribute time on your uh, GPU to help train Leela. And basically what you're going to do is you're going to let Leela play self-training games on your computer and then it's going to upload into the cloud somewhere and it'll be fed into the, the self-learning process. Um, that process seems to have stalled a little bit with the latest version uh, of Leela, this, this 60 series. And, um, you know, I, the, you can go to the discord and sort of watch the, the, you know, the, the people who really know what they're talking about, try to figure out what's going on and what they need to do to, to help Leela progress. And I think there's some sense that maybe they need to start over and, and start training a new network in a different way to to really see anything beyond what they've got right now. Wow. Interesting. Jesse, have you have you used Leela at all? You know, I've played around with these with computers over the years. And um, you know, I, I think I, I I'm an interesting person to have on the show because I'm kind of a contrarian and a late adopter on all these things anyway. Um, uh, for them, I think it's fun and interesting, but I feel like it ultimately doesn't help my chess. <laughs> so, but I think it's definitely, yeah, definitely interesting. And I think where it's actually interesting to me is not, uh, 
so much opening theory because I'll never be able to remember the things that it says. But when somebody like Alpha Zero or Leela plays moves uh, that are mind blowing to me, right? That take the game to some kind of new level and say a middle game decision or something or the H pawn thing. I mean, then it really does change, you know, broaden my perspective on what the game is. And, you know, for, for what it's worth, um, you know, I have watched um, some top players, how they manipulate the engine. Any, so anytime I see like um, uh, someone like Anand uh, giving a lecture online, um, I've seen him and Gelfan both give lectures through the, uh, what is now called the uh, Killer Chess Training, which is Jakob Augard's um, online academy. Mm-hmm. He's had Anand and Gelfan both as guests. And I've sort of, I've, one of the things I've really been interested to watch is, is not only what engine they use, but how they use it. Um, Anand uses Leela as his main engine. And the way he explained it was that, you know, for someone on his level, um, you know, he already sees most of the tactics, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's pretty good. Um, but the reason he likes to use Leela, in particular when he's going through a bunch of games very quickly, is that it will give him ideas in a position that maybe he didn't see immediately, but that are also much more comprehensible to a human. Um, you know, the, the weird thing about Stockfish is that sometimes Stockfish will give you these moves and you have no idea why on earth they're playing it. Um, you know, the, the, this is the old computer move thing, right? I mean, Kaidanov, I was uh, this Kaidanov quote that, uh, that, that he, he uh, Greg Shahadi reported uh, him saying to him that, you know, if the computer gives you a move and you don't understand it, you have to pretend that it doesn't exist because you'll never find it over the board. Um, Leela gives different sorts of ideas, it seems, and ones that maybe are intuition pumps, like Jesse was saying, um, but also ones that maybe make more sense to a human being. And, and I, I think that's part of the exciting thing too, is that you know it's 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 giving you another voice in this chorus of you know insanely strong chess entities, um, and one that that maybe may speak to humans slightly more reasonably. Yeah, I've definitely heard that. Like Leela plays the chess that humans wish they could play. Yeah. Where it's kind of backed by these deep strategic ideas with the, whatever is necessary to calculate <laughs> to justify your your plans. Um, I've used Leela a little bit. Um, and yeah, I, I, I find it really interesting just that, yeah, now there's like, it, it, it was so funny to me. I mean, you know, we, I used to think Ripka was the truth. Then I thought Houdini uh-huh. was the truth. Yeah. And then I was always actually a little bit skeptical, to be honest, of Komodo. I just felt like their marketing was really good. So I wasn't sure <laughs> like what the engine was actually like. I just didn't have a huge experience with it. But then I thought Stockfish was the truth. And now like I'm seeing, oh, well, I saw Leela. I thought Leela was really cool. Now I feel like Stockfish 12 is the new, the new religion. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, well it's funny. Yeah, yeah. I also went through a Ripka phase. That's right. <laughs> the the thing is, you know, the, the development versions of Stockfish, um, which you can download um, if you just Google Stockfish development version, um, they're already twenty five points beyond uh, Stockfish twelve, and this is in two months. So, you know, the, the 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 this whole NNUE thing has really opened up a new field of research in computer chess and. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see exactly how far it can go. Well, um, okay. Speaking of, we can move on to our next uh, topic. 
Um, I, actually, Kosa, let me just chime in. There's a question yeah. that I wanted to answer or just, you know, I don't know if it's an answer, but um, the question was about Komodo, you know, these other ones you have to pay for in Komodo, or you don't have to pay for, but Komodo you do. Why would anyone do it? And uh, one thing that I think is interesting is that, you know, as, as someone who does not have Apple, in fact, I, why have I never had Apple? Because uh, Chessbase never ran on Apple. Right. And Chessbase, honestly, I feel has really dropped the ball in the last 20 years about developing a more user-friendly interface that doesn't crash all the time. Anyways, so I have students who are Apple users and they're using Komodo basically as a, a substitute Chessbase. So I think you know, I haven't experimented with it myself, but I think that is the intention with Komodo and paying money for it. Are you are you talking about uh, the Hierarchs, um, the Hierarchs interface, or because Komodo by itself is just an engine? I just have a student who was saying I was doing all this stuff with Komodo, and I was like, okay, I'd never even heard about that, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Mac users kind of have a hard time, um, but yeah. Hierarchs does have a very nice interface. Um, uh -huh. they, there's a there's a sort of open source um, predecessor to that called ChessX, which you can uh -huh. use on a Mac. Um, but I mean, really, neither of them are are power. Neither of them are replacements for Chessbase. But is Hyrex usable, John? I mean, yeah, someone who also really likes Chessbase, are you? Um, would you be okay with Hyrex if if you had to have a Mac? <sighs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it only reads. It, it reads. I think it its own native format, which is not chess-based format, and it reads PGN files. But, you know, searching a, a million game long PGN file is very, very slow because basically it's just, it, a PGN file is a big text file. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. um, and so it takes a long time. You know, chess-based absolutely should be making a Mac version, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, it, it is such a, I mean, it's, it's so ubiquitous. I mean, it, it, it is the industry standard and I, I don't see any way to get away from it. Yeah, 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 same. Um, so I want to just correct myself. I at the moment, right? I don't uh, see what my student was saying, and maybe they actually meant something like hierarchs. It is a, it is stunning that they want uh, they want hundred bucks for Komodo, their latest thing. And right, Stockfish is free, and Stockfish Stockfish twelve it downloaded in like fifteen seconds. You know, it's like really sweet and small. Oh yeah, I mean no, it's really like. Plug and play, like John said. I mean, you yeah. need a, a interface to, to use it, but um, actually, maybe just real quick, this might be going to the next topic. But um, is there a good free version to just run an engine and just like if you have a position, you want to know what your computer thinks about it? I mean, the, the simplest way to do it would be, would be to use something like LeeChess, um, which has a version of Stockfish built into the web interface and it will use your CPU. But I mean, that's going to be very that's not going to get you very deep and it's not going to use, if you have a powerful computer, it won't use all the resources. Right. Um, if you are looking for something to do free analysis, uh, I really like ChessX. Um, and if you're looking for something even simpler, uh, there's this uh, interface called Tarash Chess, like, a, like you know, Tarash the chess player or Tarash the, uh, the, the opening. Um, it is as dead simple as you can find. You can play against it. You can analyze with it. It will read PGN files if you download a PGN file from somewhere, um, and you can plug you can plug whatever uh, UCI engine you want into it. So you can plug in Stockfish or Komodo, or Ribka or Ethereal or you know any of the ones that are out there. Um, 
Now, there, there are a lot, you know, people only think about Stockfish and, um, and, and, and the top ones, but there, there's a whole world of them out there. And, and some of them can be useful for other things as we'll talk about when we get to number four. Yeah, yeah. some of these right. engines, they, they just want to say they sound like um, cryptocurrency to me, especially when you go into like Ethereum. <laughs> <Just> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe it's mining stuff while you're analyzing. I don't know. It's, it's possible. But... Yeah, very related. Okay, let me reset the timer here. Um, we, we already talked about this a little bit, but yeah, maybe, John, you can go into a little bit more um, detail if you'd like. How have the new neural network engines changed modern chess? We mentioned... Um, that first off, like, I mean, both world championship teams, Carlson and Caruana, I don't know when Carlson started using Leela, but we know Caruana did. We know Carlson and his second um, used Leela. Uh, Gustafsson mentioned it. He used it for his, like, new chessable, like, E4, E5 course. Um, and in, in many variations, he has, like, uh, like two evaluations. You know, this is what Stockfish says. This is what Leela says. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we all know, like, the H-pawn thing, like, you know, these engines love their rook pawns. Have there been any anything else that the engines have kind of, like, I don't know, discovered or are pointing to? I, I think what, what has been brought back into chess is, is, is this sort of, this almost mystical thing that Kasparov called quality. Hmm. Um, you know, when, when Sparrow was talking about different sorts of compensation or different sorts of features of a chess position, you know, we talk about time, talk about space. And then he, he had this weird, this, this, this thing about quality, right? The quality of your pieces. And um, that seems to me to be something that the, the, neural net, the neural network engines are really, really good at finding and playing with as they, as they analyze and as they play other engines. Um, you know, the, the weird thing about Stockfish is that the, the way it's implemented in Stockfish, it's kind of like a like an in-between thing. It's 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 you know it understands quality better than classical Stockfish, but not nearly as well as Leela. Um, so it, you know I think that's another reason that maybe humans may want to use Leela even if it's not as strong as uh, NNUE. It, it just it, it it will give you something that that will make more sense to you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe, I mean, maybe we're seeing this also in, in the opening choices that we're seeing in all these rapid games being played all across the world. Um, I mean, people are playing really weird stuff. Uh, you know, H5 on move three in the, in the, in the English, in, in the English, you know, Carlson, uh, Carlson threw out there in some recent rapid game. Um, I get it. It's a rapid game. You don't want to use your, your top-notch stuff. And in game 25, anything can happen anyway. But, you know, all of a sudden there's this whole new world of, of ideas that maybe Leela, if it gives you the okay, you think, well, I mean, it can't be that bad. So I'll, I'll try it. Yeah, actually the the real big one for me that like, if, if this line is actually playable, I'm just going to go insane is the, um, the, uh, the dirty hairy line from uh, Selecki. <laughs> yeah. The H5 on, on move, on move five in the Sicilian. Yeah. Jesse, I don't know if you're, if you know what we're talking about, but just for everyone in the chat, if you imagine know. the, the four knights, open Sicilian, so two knights on f6 and c6 for black, mm -hmm. white is played, knight takes d4, knight c3, and now black usually either plays e6 here to get the four knight Sicilian, or d6 will get the classical Sicilian. Here black goes h5. Yeah. Which is, like, is actually playable. Um, I mean, we, we don't have a chessboard here, so we can't go into it, but it's like, I mean, if that line is like, if Leela says that line is okay, <laughs> and then it enters, it enters the the accepted variations in the Sicilian. Like that would just be that would be crazy. 
I think uh, that goes to how I see that that kind of uh, nonsense. H <laughs> five goes to how I see how the biggest change has happened. Where, if you imagine, let's go back, say, two thousand three or something, when the computers were obviously already stronger than humans, but there was still a kind of reverence for human opinion. And the the thought in like 2003 was like, okay, maybe Kramnik's gonna lose to this computer and stuff, but really he's stronger and it's only because he gets tired and yada, yada, <laughs> right? Um, now, what's really interesting as a social phenomenon, right, is you have a guy, we have a, a friend of the chess dojo named Neil Bruce, and he uh, posts stuff on Twitter that it's really heretical. And he'll, he'll be going over some classic game and he'll be like, well, I checked it with the engine and the engine says this is a ridiculous annotation. So throw it out the window. And right for my chess sensibilities, sense of chess culture, whatever you want to call it, it's like, it's, it's funny at first, but then I see other people reacting to what he's saying, and I'm realizing that I'm the one that's been left behind. The train is gone, and these people are seeing like classical chess through a new perspective in which they're, this is enabling them to completely leave the station of how at least I grew up thinking about the game. Right. Regardless of whatever level they're personally at, whether they're at 1200 or 1800, they're seeing the game through the eyes of the computer. And yeah, the, the, the vision of what chess is, is totally different then. Totally yeah. different. So that's the big difference I see. But I, I, think, yeah. Go ahead, John. I, I think you got a sense of this last week when, when, uh, when Sam Shanklin was, was telling you what you need to do to win the senior championship. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, um, it's funny. I, I have a I have a video interview with Joel Benjamin uh, that should come out this week, where we talked about his games at the senior. And then uh -huh. at the end, I I sort of threw that I threw that at him. I said, "Look, here's I was watching uh, Chess Dojo, and uh, you know, and Jesse said it's his it's his, his only reason to live is to get into the yeah. senior. Yeah. And and Sam said, "Okay, well, to do that, um, you're not going to outplay these guys, so just overdose on tactics, and then you'll beat them." And, and Joel was like, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, Joel's also an old school guy, right? I mean, this is, you know, not to, not to get ahead of ourselves, but, you know, he, this book just came out, right? Uh -huh. um, and, and, you know, I, I don't know how many kids are going to read this because it doesn't show up on their phone and doesn't have Stockfish enabled in it. Right, you know I mean? right. And that's, that's sort of the generational thing that seems to be going on here. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't know how to answer that. Well, I mean, I have an answer for it, but um, maybe we'll have to wait a minute. I, I should say one more thing about how the neural networks have changed modern chess, though, since sure. we... Um, the one thing that I think has also been very, very important for analytical purposes is that they understand closed positions a lot better. So, you know, Kosia, you're a King's Indian guy. I'm not giving you any secrets here, but I mean, you know, <laughs> we can go to the database and we can see this. Um, Leela and, and Fat Fritz too, I think, um, are much better analytical tools for you when you're trying to understand, you know, the pawn races in the Mar del Plata variation as opposed to Stockfish. Right. No, I've definitely felt, yeah, Leela is like, I mean, it's, again, it's hard to say because it's not like I know which engine is correct, but um, yeah, any Kings Indian player knows that Stockfish and a lot of the older engines 
will greatly overvalue white's space advantage where like in practice you know like black scores fine so um yeah it's nice to have an engine that's like kind of gets it a little more yeah, the, the justifies justifies your beliefs yeah I, I think the same thing is true in some lines of the french um you know where you give up space yeah um, you know uh, the engine loves white and uh it's just impractical play it's it's not it's not that simple right absolutely the engine also loves they've all love the stockfish especially loves the bishops oh man give that thing a bishop and it runs crazy with the evaluation <laughs> you know yeah well going back to the thing we were talking about about um you know adult improvers using engines and kind of believing in the engine i, I think there is a difference between kids learning from the engine because i think kids just absorb things really quickly and they just learn so fast that it, it makes sense that it, i like i think of a kid like christopher Yu, who probably uses a lot of engine in, in his training um but he's he's obviously a brilliant calculator and he he's developed his like uh, analytical skills quite a bit um mm -hmm. but for yeah for the adult players who use engines i think they rely on them a little bit too heavily i think on the evaluation and then they um well they, they don't have the experience that like title players have where like you know, we just know, like, we see a position with a weak king, like, we know it, that king is going to get mated, regardless of what the engine says. We know, like, in practice, that's usually what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think chess is still, like, a competitive game. So this experience, like, really, really counts for, for something. Uh, and so, like, yeah, if we, if we can't extract why the engine comes up with the moves it does, then it's hard to imagine how that will be, like, really helpful when it comes to our own games, like our own decisions that we're making. Yeah, th there's, um, this is something that Gelfand talks about in, in the book, in the two books that, that he just published with with Agard, but oh, cool. um, in, in the book that you're doing the book club with, which I'm, I'm kind of excited to see, uh, you know, he talks about, said, well, the engine says this is equal, but of course everyone would want to play white, or of course everyone would want to play black here. And, and what he's saying is that, you know, okay, you may get triple zeros according to Stockfish, but it's the sort of position where one side makes a mistake and the game's over. Um, Stockfish might not make those mistakes, but we will. And real quick, I, I noticed um, the original, or I remember the original match that came out between Alpha Zero and Stockfish, Stockfish 8, I think it was. I remember playing through some of those games because I was curious, like, okay, Stockfish 8 is the current truth in the chess world, so how can it be <laughs> getting crushed this badly? And uh, so I was just playing, I did what everyone did. I just played through the games with my own Stockfish running and just seeing, like, well, at what point does the evaluation go from fine to, to bad? And what I was seeing that like Alpha Zero was getting it into a lot of variations where Stockfish thought it was fine, it was equal, but only based on this like one line that it was calculating. Right. It's not like Stockfish had three options or four options for equality and then blunder somewhere. It like mm -hmm. got sucked into these like deep lines. And then at the end of the line, oh, there was some exchange sack that Stockfish didn't anticipate. Um, and okay, it might have not been the strongest version or whatever, but like that was kind of the pattern I was seeing is that the, uh, the neural network engine was getting stockfish into these kind of like long um, tunnel variations that it wasn't fully calculating. For, for what it's worth, by the way, when you read Leela's evaluation, that probabilistic reading of the position is kind of baked in. So, you know, the way it evaluates the position is not just one line of play. It looks at this this game tree and says, here are the likely ways this could go. Here are the moves that seem to score better, and it weighs those more heavily. But it tries to figure in the fact that there are bad moves out there for each side. So 
you know, from a practical perspective, the Leela evaluation might be more interesting for, for um, you know, over the board players who are, who are trying to get a sense of what might happen in a real game. Yeah, that's, that was definitely my feeling. Okay, which brings us nicely to our next uh, question, um, which is, what is the best way to utilize engines for, for chess improvement? So I guess we're just going to talk about engines in a general sense, but if you want to specify if you mean like a neural network engine or just regular classic stockfish, uh, I guess we, we can, but let me, well, let me start with John. What do you think? Um, the number one thing to remember is that the engine is not an Oracle. The engine will not give you the unvarnished truth, um, because it is not perfect. Uh, and what's more, um, we are human players and, you know, we can't possibly uh, duplicate the insights of the engine when we are playing over the board. Um, so, you know, we have to respect them, we have to learn from them, but at the end of the day, you're by yourself when you're playing another human being. I mean, hopefully, unless you're, you know, Rousus or whatever his new name is. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he, you guys heard the story, right? That Igor Rousus came back and... Right, right. Kasimi, Kasimi. You know, I mean, I, like, I kind of feel bad for the guy because maybe he really loves chess, but then if you really love chess, you shouldn't be looking at the phone in the toilet. That's just me. Um, I, so, I yeah, felt so bad for him, sorry, until I found out that he cheated against David Navarra at least once. And then I was like, yeah. <laughs> it does seem like a sin, like a very big sin. Yeah. Um, his book, by the way, um, fantastic book if you haven't read it. It's uh, newly out from Thinkers Publishing. Definitely, well, if, you, if you like games collections, Navarra's book mm -hmm. is excellent. Yeah, I'm looking um, So what does this mean? Uh, a couple things. I think you should use the engine to practice positions. And again, this is going to be a, um, a do as I say, not as I do kind of thing, because I don't do this nearly enough. But let's say you are woodshedding rook endings. Uh, you know, you're working on your end game. When you play through a position in the book, that's great. If you can't play it out over the board in a minute, like let's say if you can't do Lucina or if you can't do uh, Vancoura, if, if you can't do those over the board in a minute, you don't know it. Right. So one of the things you can do is use an engine to practice against. Um, now you could use Stockfish for this and you could, uh, like in the Fritz interface, uh, there are ways to turn down the strength of the engine. So you could you know, have it approximate a 2200 player or a 1900 player or something like that. Um, with a little more research, you can actually go out and find weaker chess engines. So they have all sorts of weird names like Cinnamon or Gaia or you know, Black Bear or you know, all, all sorts mm -hmm. of, all, there's all sorts of engines out there. Um, and if you go to the, there's a wiki uh, for computer chess, and they have a whole thing about engines. You can just go and look, or you can look at any of the engine rating lists. Just go and choose something that's kind of around your strength, um, and play with it. And and you know maybe you practice games against that, or you, you know you, you can use that as a sparring partner. Um, and instead of beating your head against Stockfish, you, you actually might you know win some of them, which is which is kind of novel when you're playing against a the computer these days. Uh, there are, there are other things you could do. There are um, also much smaller Leela networks. So if you go to Leela Chess, if you go to their website and you look at the, the, the page about networks, they will give you some ideas about uh, tiny, tiny little networks that you can spar against that will even run on your CPU. They don't have a whole lot of knowledge, so they will make mistakes, um, but they still will play much more like a human than Stockfish would. All of these things you can do to train, um, but again, really the key thing is you just have to remember that 
you know, when you are using an engine, it's a tool. That's all it is. Um, and you have to learn to interpret it. So, you know, um, when you see Stockfish's evaluation not moving in an end game, you have to understand that, you know, even though it says plus 3.5, Black's not winning, mm -hmm. right? It, there's a probably a fortress there. Um, or, you know, plus one um, in a blocked position doesn't necessarily mean that one side has a huge advantage. It just means that uh, Stockfish sees it that way. And, and for practical players, it, it, it may be completely equal. Um, you, you just have, you have to work with it and learn how to read it. Right. Uh, something I should jump in here with is that, as I remember Sam giving me the advice, it was in particular that he said that all these old guys were playing sidelines. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's kind of even, when you get into that, it feels intuitive what a sideline is, but it's actually when you dig into it like everything might be a sideline. In any case, he was like, go in there and knock down all the sidelines, which of course is a very engine type thing to do and would require not only time, but like a pretty interesting memory for, you know, all of these computer moves. And for the most part, right, when I, when I, when I imagine doing what Sam is doing, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's definitely like a view into how uh, a, a present-day GM would go about doing it. And um, I've definitely done a lot of work with the computer myself, but, you know, trying to knock down all these uh, potential sidelines, I can't, it's very difficult for me because I can't remember what the engine says because it's so weird. And um, in general, like almost like less information is, is better. So like I do these really basic opening vids on YouTube that do not have that much analysis. And that's what I want for myself, honestly. I just want some guy or girl come on there and say, this is the basic idea of what you're trying to do in this position. And here are maybe three variations. That's all I got in me. That's all I got. So to me, it's like the engine's this almost a little bit counterproductive, which is, this is gonna be my opportunity to throw it back at John and like in particular, so you imagine you're, let's imagine a 1500 John Hartman. How did John Hartman use the engine to get better? Not just, I get it with chess space and collecting your opponent's games and stuff, but the engine in particular, how do you feel that helped you? Um, how did it help me then or how would it help me now? Because I, I, I have a great right now. Okay, yeah. I um, so I view the engine as an analysis partner. So when I am looking at a position mm -hmm. um, and it gives me a suggestion that I don't understand, I don't simply say, oh, okay, that's fine. I'll, that, that must be the best move. What I do is I try to work out why it thinks it's that. Um, and here's where, you know, when you're running a uh, chess base, when you're running the engine in chess base, the X function where you hit X on the keyboard and then what it does is it sort of skips a move and it tells you what, if your side had another move to play right now, what that would be. Okay. Sometimes that can tell you what, like the reason the move is really good. Um, especially if you're a tactical idiot like I am, you know, it, oh, that, that move is good because it threatens mate in three. Okay, now I get it. Mm -hmm. um, if you simply, you know, just use it and say, oh, okay, and, and you know, you keep it in the space bar and you put the thing in the notes and you never try to understand why the engine says something is stronger, it's not gonna help you because you won't remember it, right? But if you analyze your games and you say, okay, I made a mistake here and, and 
Stockfish or Leela says, this move is better, but I don't see why. And then you take two minutes to sort of figure out why that move is better, or maybe it's not better. Maybe it's just a different option. Mm -hmm. um, that's where the improvement comes in because you're, you're slowly expanding that knowledge base. And I, I think what you're doing is, you know, you're, you're, you're retraining your intuition a little bit as well. So that the next time you get to a similar position, you think, oh, all right, I know this idea. And, and, you know, I, I saw this in one of my own games three months ago. And now I, now I sort of understand why I should do something different. Um, you know, the openings, I mean, it's nice to study your own openings. It's nice to have them collated. I'm as guilty of, as, as, you know, fetishizing the opening as anybody else. But really, the way the improvement happens is simply by you, you know, you doing what you used to do with a training partner, right? Where you would look at ideas. And, and like in a postmortem, you would, mm. what happened if you do this? Oh, well, then this happens. Oh, okay, now I see. Well, except now I got, you know, 3,600 Grandmaster sitting here on my desk and, and it doesn't make me pay for it. I mean, it doesn't make me pay for lessons. It, it just is happy to answer any question I have at three in the morning. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's where the improvement happens is it, it's, it's the dialogue, which is a weird thing to say because it's a computer, but I, th I think you see what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Okay. To, to John's point, I, I think that that is the key. It's um, searching for moments where your kind of human evaluation of the position, what you think is happening is like really different from what the engine is telling you than trying to like navigate that, uh, difference. Uh, I remember going through like just different um, games and, and books. And when I was really, really dedicated, you know, I'd play through annotated notes and something wouldn't make sense to me. Like, oh, doesn't this move just save? Or, you know, uh, I remember reading um, Fire on Board when Sherov is like, you know, down a rook in some position and he's like, yeah, my attack is just good here. I'm like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. And then I, I would plug that game into the engine and just kind of see like, well, what if White had defended like this? What if I had defended like this? And then the engine comes up with like all kinds of different resources. And yeah, slowly I would kind of like start to understand. And I feel like that was really, that was really, really helpful. Um, I would also say, um, yeah, if I could just give my, my take on this, when you're analyzing an opening position, um, or just any position you're trying to figure out, if you're not really sure what the engine is telling you to just take the opposite side and, and spar with it. Um, so I would do this a lot when I have some kind of opening position that like it says, um, it says black is slightly better and I'm, I'm looking at it from black's point of view, but I, it looks scary to me. So I'll take white and I'll play whatever moves I think are natural and let the engine crush me. And yeah, then the engine plays some weird, funky, like knight h5 idea. And so many times I've had this experience where some idea that came up in analysis, I get to use that move over the board in a different position, but it still works because it turns out it was kind of like a thematic tactical shot that the engine just kind of pointed out to me. And I was lucky enough to, to remember. Um, but you got to be conscious when you're working with the engine. Yeah, if you're just reading the evaluation, it's like almost almost useless basically uh, you got to be like really breaking it down and trying to understand why why it's giving you one number versus another and i just want to repeat a pro tip uh before we move on it's very important <laughs> so many people get the stockfish and do not know about changing the contempt factor and then they're lost then then forget about it you have to change the contempt factor and i'll put in my layman's terms john previously said the reason there's a contempt factor is when the is for the when the computers play each other it has nothing to do 
with us using them. So if you don't change the contempt factor, it's going to throw it completely off and it'll just make you insane. So Google it. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's the thing, the, um, you, you can do it with the, the one you download from Stockfish Chess if you know how to configure it in chess space. Right. Um, the reason, one of the reasons I did, I, I made this, this special version that's available at my website, um, right. firstlookchess.com, is that I've sort of baked it into the engine so it's idiot proof. Like that way you don't need to change anything. You just use the NNUE version or use the classical version. Mm -hmm. it's, it's good for analysis right out the box. Cool. Yeah, and you guys, you can find that at his site, First Look Chess. We have that in the chat bar, but firstlookchess.com, that is where you can download that for free. For free. Awesome. Um, we have actually an interesting um, quote from, from Agard uh, about uh, the limitations of engines, but actually I think we can save that for our final topic when we talk about uh, chess life. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll bring that up then. For the meantime... Uh, John is a big uh, chess books guy. I don't know if we mentioned it, but John used to review uh, chess books uh, every month and had a column in Chess Life magazine reviewing books. Mm -hmm. um, so he's a big reader. Um, yeah, what have been your, what books are you most excited about lately or coming up? Anything you want to mention? Um, I, I pulled a few off my shelf, and so I'm, I'm going to look over to the side just to sort of remind myself. Um, yeah. I think the most exciting new books, although they're certainly for a very advanced audience and, and one that is probably not me, um, are, are the, uh, the, the, the two new books by Boris Gelfand yeah. with, a, with a big assist from Jakob Agard. Um, hmm. You know, uh, Gelfand's first two books were, uh, in particular, the positional chess book, I think, was just magisterial. Yeah, that, I mean, have, have, you, have you gotten to take a look at what's inside that? <laughs> yeah, I read the, uh, the intro and I started chapter one. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, well, I mean, the intro is great because he sort of warns you off believing the engine and, or, or relying on the engine too much, which is kind of a weird thing because this, this book is, you know, as big a dump of analysis as you're ever going to see. I mean, you know, 30 pages on one ending. The only thing I've ever seen like that are, are books by, you know, Robert Hubner, um, and then Korchnoi on the, on Rook End Games. Um, mm -hmm. th this is, this is serious stuff and it's going to take you a long time to get through it. That said... For a certain sort of a sort of audience who really wants to get deep in a chess position, um, it, it's hard to think of books that are going to be better than these. Uh, you know, Gelfand provides all sorts of really interesting insights, insights you know from the very top level, levels of chess that you're you're not going to find anywhere else. Um, and and Agar does a very good job of putting it all together, um, and and you know making it digestible. Um, if if thirty pages of analysis of a rook endgame can be said to be digestible. So, uh, you know, either you're really going to need to have the ability to put your butt in the chair and, and, and sit and go through it, or you're going to need to be a very strong player to get the most out of it. But, um, yeah, really, you know, if you just want to get deep in the chest, this is a good way to do it. Um, I think this is, it'll be interesting, uh, but this definitely relates to computers and how to use it, uh, is that the first two books I felt uh, – and maybe this is just my personal uh, viewpoint on chess, is I felt they were really uh, damaged by the use of the engine and the sense that Gelfand was, it's almost like his human voice was stripped when he saw the engine analysis. And instead of telling us how he saw the position as a human, he often was just like, well, 
this is what the engine said and so now i'm going to print it and kind of like the great predecessors books as similar problem i was just like well that was unhelpful to me i didn't get anything out of that long analysis that obviously you didn't see in the game no other human could have seen that in the game so i don't know why we're looking at it here i wanted the promise of the books which was going to be gelfand telling us his chess principles and anecdotes of chess thinking so i think i i by the way i think i'm in a minority opinion here i think other people do seem to love this uh dump of analysis in books but uh that already you know i was hoping i i, I just got my copy today we're doing this dojo book club by the way on um, this book when, when is that by the way uh, just so you can plug it <laughs> we're gonna I, we have a great book here we could just Ghost you, we'll, we'll type in, we, we got it in our uh, list, just do book club, excellent right. book club. Anyways, so we'll, you know, I'll be keeping open mind on that. But to me, that's, uh, that was the terror, the, the problem of the first two books. Uh, and I felt like it got in the way of what the original ambition was, which was very noble, I felt, which was kind of to do a new, uh, my system for 2020. Yeah, I, see, I, I, I have to, I, I, I disagree with you more about the positional one than the dynamic one. I, th I think the dynamic one, because the, the topic is so nebulous, I, I think it was not as successful as uh, positional decision-making. But in positional de decision-making, I thought he did a, a very good job of explaining why he had different thoughts about space or, um, you know, and, and sort of tracing it to his chess heritage, right? I mean, you know, Rubenstein was so important mm -hmm. for him, and he, he right. tried to explain it um, as best he could. Now, that being said, I, I think, you know, and again, what do I know? I'm an idiot, right? But, you know, chess at the highest level, um, I, it has become so infiltrated by the computer, by necessity. Um, you know, that the, the idea of individual style um, is, is, is not what it once was. I mean, you know, if I gave you the games of the top 20 players, I mean, some of them you'd be able to figure out, um, but, but stylistic I'm, it would, would, <laughs> that would be a really fun game, actually. I think we should do that. <laughs> uh, don't don't get me to do it because I don't know anything. Um, but but I mean, but you see what I'm saying, right? So you know, I, I definitely hear you when you say that you know that, that there is a lot of computer in these books. Um, but I, I, I my sense of it is is that for these top level guys, there's no way around it. I mean, you know that they their their intuition is so good, and the only way it's going to get better is by by pushing it up against the computer and trying to see where the slippages are. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's, that, that is my sense of it. Um, other books that I think are really good right now, uh, Jan Timan's, uh, Timan's, um, Timan's Triumphs. Mm -hmm. Now you talk about a book that is the antithesis of the, the Gelfand books. Um, very, very light on the hardcore analysis, uh, a lot of words, um, I would like to have seen more biography in it, but I suppose that's not what the book was really about. It's a best games uh, or best wins, I suppose, uh, sort of book. But, um, you know, even, even in the first game, I mean, there, and I put this up on Twitter last week or something, there was just this beautiful piece rearrangement that Timon did. Hmm, and uh, yeah, yeah the, the computer, you know, the computer doesn't care about it. The computer thinks it's nothing special, but for a human, it's a very memorable sort of rearrangement. Um, and, and that's kind of why I like this book. It's, it's, it's it's not nearly as difficult to read, um, and it, I think in some ways it's it's more enjoyable simply as a as an aesthetic kind of thing. Um, Joel Benjamin's book that just came out, I, I 
you know, I know kids don't read books. Um, I think mm -hmm. this, is, this is his attempt to, to at least put something out there the kids might possibly read. Or uh, as he said in the interview I did with him, uh, it's also uh, aimed at teachers who maybe, you know, want to have something that they can pull off the shelf and say, ah, oh, here's a Smizlov game that maybe you would like to see or something like that. Um, so that's just out from New and Chess. Um, my friends, uh, Elshan Maradi Abadi and Sabina Foyser have a new book out called Sherlock's Method, which is out from the fingers. Yeah, it's, it's a really neat idea. They, they sort of come up with this, this uh, Sherlock Holmes story where, where Sherlock is training Watson uh, to get ready for a tournament. Uh, and then, but, you know, so there's this story, but there's also like 250 or 300 positions in there to solve um, that range in strength from, you know, um, the 1,200 to 1,500 player, maybe all the way up to master. And uh, the explanations are really pretty good. So if you're looking for a training book that has a fun little twist, that's kind of a nice book. So that book is specifically, I remember reading, it's like about how to pr prepare for an upcoming tournament, right? Like get into form? Um, more by solving. There's not a lot of instruction in terms of like, you know, do X, Y, and Z. Like, um, God, Ed, Ed, uh, Edmar Mednis had a book years ago, years ago called like um, how to get ready for a tournament or how to prepare for a tournament or something. This is a little white book. Mm-hmm that's I'm sure out of print, but it was, was really nice and sort of gave you like, okay, here's how to practice your openings. Here's how to think about time trouble. Here's how to, you know, here's how to do all the things that you need to do to get ready for a tournament. This is more like, you know, training in the weeks to, in the weeks running up to a tournament. Uh, so, gotcha. you know, here's some positions to solve. Here's how to work on your thinking process. And, uh, oh, and by the way, there's this, you know, fun little twist at the end of the Sherlock Holmes story that I won't give away. Um, but uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it's a fun read. Um, other chess improvers may really like, and I'm going to pull the book out because I can't remember the exact title. Um, uh, this book that I just got in the mail a couple days ago, Chess Improvement, mm -hmm. uh, It's All in the Mind. Um, <laughs> it's by, oh, I'm sorry, It's All in the Mindset, excuse me. Uh, much, much, much more comprehensible this way. By a guy named Barry Heimer and Grandmaster Peter Wells. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so those of us of a certain age who have been around Chessbase for a long time will remember uh, Peter Wells' strategy column in old issues of Chessbase magazine. Uh, brilliant stuff. If, if, uh, if, mm -hmm. if you have any access to these old magazines, uh, you know, like back in the hundreds, like, you know, like Chessbase magazine 80 or something. Yeah, they're up to like 198 right now. Um, he, he wrote these brilliant columns, very well written, all sorts of fun positions that maybe you hadn't thought about before. Um, you know, very strong player. And these two have teamed up. Uh, Heimer is an academic who is uh, he's interested in psychology. He's interested in Carol Dweck's theory of uh, growth mindsets as opposed to fixed mindsets. Yeah. Um, and he also references um, Anders Ericsson's theory about, uh, you know, um, a deliberative practice. And so taken together, they sort of try to outline a framework for chess improvement that, that makes use of these uh, academic psychological insights. And, you know, I'm, I'm only about a chapter or two in, but already it's got me thinking about not only how I approach the game and how I approach improvement, but all the things I will absolutely not do if my six-year-old daughter wants to learn chess. <laughs> so it's, um, if, if, if you're a teacher or if you're, you know, working on your own game, it's a bit of a heavy read because it is kind of academic um, and the layout is not great. Uh, now that I'm an editor, I really pay attention to that stuff. But, um, the, the content inside is, is absolutely worth reading. Cool. And you, you also earlier mentioned the, the new David no Navarro book, which yeah, really uh, if, I mean, 
um, a little heavier on analysis than like say Timon, but definitely not nearly as as uh, imposing as Gelfand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Navarro by all accounts is like the nicest guy in the world you ever want to meet. And it, it really comes through in the book. I mean, it, it's, I think it's the translation of a blog that he had uh, that was written in Czech. So of course, unless you're using Google Translate, you can't understand it unless you speak Czech. Uh, but you know, it, it goes through a good chunk of his career, very well annotated games. And, uh, you know, he, he tells you what's going on behind the scenes and you, you get a really good sense of what the guy's like. Very cool. Yeah. On that, um, Gelfand note, I, I, with both of you guys, like, um, to Jesse's point, when I re like migrate predecessors, I just skip the engine lines, um, yeah. because yeah, it's like. Yeah, to me, I just want to know the stories and the players and, and what, were, what was their specific contribution. With the, the Gelfand books, I remember skipping through some of his analysis as well. I feel like I just looked for the stuff that looked interesting to me. And I, I mean, I got a ton of value from the book, even if I only maybe read like 70% of it or something and then like missed a lot of engine lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesse was telling me a few weeks ago that if I want to be a GM, I got to do like the hard end game work. So I, I'm going to like pour through every variation i almost cursed there <laughs> and uh and i'm gonna and you know, i'm just gonna try to i'm gonna try to grind it out see how that's it goes. Well, and one thing i just want to mention in this regard is kind of interesting both with computers and books is uh earlier we mentioned Corstroy's rook ending book i covered that i did a review of that here you know that's pre-computer and that is that's intense man and you know it's really interesting because then the variations are ordered by a human mind and it's amazing because you can then see like oh this is what a very strong human mind can actually do and then you're like oh i can maybe aspire to some piece of this without it being incomprehensible in terms of say endings uh, and another book that shot to mind, we're talking about timon is a great book he did back in the day called uh the art of chess analysis oh man if you want your mind to explode take a look at that book and that again is uh human variations but very deep so you know the first reaction i think for most players when they see that this was in the pre-computer times was like oh man that's an anvil i'm not willing to put on my chest um but the, the variations is still organized by human mind plus you weren't sure if they were right. And it's kind of interesting as a student, you like, if, if you know they're already right, there's, you lose a lot of the interesting uh, questions that go on there, um, but you don't know they're right. And I'm sure if you plugged in Timmons' Art of a Chess Analysis into Stockfish 12, it would say it was all wrong, but that doesn't mean, you know, it's still a great book. For what it's worth, that's one reason that I find myself reading old chess books quite often. Um, you know, I've been playing through games in Ryshevsky's Best Games of Chess, um, which may or may not have actually been written by Ryshevsky. I think Reinfeld may have been the ghostwriter. Um, you know, Ryshevsky was a brilliant chess player, but the notes make sense for a human, even if they're not completely right. And, and I mean, they can't be. It's, you know, written in 1940 uh, or whatever, 1946 right. or something. But that, that, that to me, there's, there's still a lot of value in reading those old books precisely because they are so much more human and you have to do the work to say wait a minute that doesn't look right let me think about it and then let me go check it with the engine yeah and i should say there's a comment saying saying there were computers for timmons books but that book definitely not that was written in 1980 you yeah. know so cool okay let's move on coaster let's do it um all right final topic what's in store for 
uh, November's Chess Life. November's Chess Life. Well, I'm trying to remember now. Let me let me actually pull it up on my computer so I actually can remember because I don't want to give anything away here. I know the uh, wait. Can we? The cover has been posted, right? Can we talk the about the cover? Cover has been posted. The cover is posted on the internet. Nice. Um, it is actually about the Queen's Gambit, which uh, is the Netflix limited series that is now out available for streaming. If you are a Netflix subscriber, if not, you can get a month free, watch it, and then cancel it so you don't have to pay a red cent. Um, but the, uh, the we have about a we have a ten page story written by Bruce Pandolfini, who um, who was a contributor, uh, a consultant both to the limited series and also. Uh, was a consultant with Walter Tevis, who wrote the original book called The Queen's Gambit. Uh, Walter right. Tevis, uh, you may know from his books, um, The Hustler. Uh, Tevis wrote the, and, and he wrote the, the screenplay for The Color of Money. Uh, so, you know, very well-known author. And um, yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy does a fantastic job in it. And Bruce uh, brings us an interview with the producer, with the director, uh, has an exclusive quote from Anya. Um, yeah, takes us deep into one of the key positions towards the end of the game uh, and shows us how much real chess went into the production. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really good article. Bruce knocked it out of the park. And uh, we were so pleased to get um, a lot of um, unique photos from Netflix specifically for this article. Uh, they really worked with us to get us what we needed to make it as good as it could be. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, maybe we'll talk about the show and uh, Sunday Night Fights coming up because I was watching a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen the whole thing twice now. I saw it as a as a as a screener when we were writing the story, and um, oh, nice. you know, we were talking about this off screen. Uh, the, the question is always going to be for you know, will will our non-playing chess partners enjoy it? Um, right. And anecdotal evidence seems to suggest yes. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, so that's that's the cover story. Then we've got. Um, you know, we've got our usual columns, uh, Lev Albert, Bruce Pandolfini, uh, John Watson did a book review. I'm trying to remember what it was in here. I think it was, um, oh, it was uh, Willie Hendricks' new book, which he absolutely loved. Hmm. Uh, the, um, oh, what is it? I'm going to, I don't want to botch the page. I'm actually going in the PDF to find it. That's fine. So that's the guy that wrote um, Move First, Think Later. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, well his, uh, his new book is called On the Origin of Good Moves. Mm. And basically what he does is he tries to completely debunk this, um, this standard chess history where, you know, uh, Morphe, uh, the Steinitz sort of took the best of Morphe's active play and codified it into positional rules and then Lasker, you know, and, and then, um, and basically what he does is he says, look, if you really want to look at the games, um, you know, Anderson was a great positional player. Uh, all these obscure 19th century masters you've never heard of were already doing things that you see in games today. And so he totally blows up the theory um, that, that Lasker really promulgated, that, that, that Steinitz was the father of positional chess. Um, mm. And uh, Watson absolutely loved the book, uh, which I, I should say, if you're looking for, you know, for really an iconoclastic book um, and one that'll make you think about chess history, that's one to go to. Uh, Hendrix's book is, and, and his earlier one too, uh, Move First, Think Later, very controversial, but it's very thought-provoking. Uh, so... Yeah, we, we live in a golden age of chess literature. It's amazing how much stuff keeps coming out um, and you can't keep up with it. So uh, yeah, just find something and read it. I guess that's the best way I can put it. Anyway, uh, other than that, we have three really nice features. I'm sure one we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, but we have uh, Sam Shankland 
last week's guest talking about the online Olympiad. Uh, Elizabeth Spiegel, uh, who is um, well known for her star turn in Brooklyn Castle as the uh, scholastic teacher at IS318. She wrote an article for us about um, how to learn to intuit tactical themes in a position. And sort of what are the things you're gonna look for if you wanna find a tactic in, in, a, in a position. Uh, really nice and really instructive on a, on a good, I don't wanna say a basic level, but an but understandable level for club players. Um, and then a piece that I think we haven't seen a lot of recently in Chess Life, um, what I called a masterclass with Jakob Agard, where he took us through a game played by two American juniors, uh, Jason Liu and Brewington Hardaway. And so he's tried to use it to show us um, both the, the promise and the limits of engine analysis. And uh, there's a lot to work through. But there's also a lot to think about philosophically in terms of how to improve your chess in that article. I'm, I'm really excited to bring that to chess life. Cool. Yeah, we, we have a screenshot from uh, Agard's piece uh, that I'm just going to put up here. This, here by the way, this will be in mailboxes uh, for chess life subscribers on or about November 1st. Oh, awesome. Um, and so this is kind of like a first look, <laughs> first look, and uh, this is like a sidebar from Agard's uh, article here about like the limitations of engine analysis. I guess this is just kind of summarizing um, some of the points he makes. Um, but yeah, but we thought it'd be good to have this on the show because uh, Jesse just did a video about uh, Agard's book Calculation, where he kind of criticized like the use of, I would like, you know, engine solutions. Um, but then I, I read the article, I thought it was so funny how Agard actually, he comes out as if he's like, he's like against engines, you know, like, like they, he's like, I mean, well, you see at the limitations of engine, uh, analysis, you can see his, his points, um, here. Well, okay. Jesse, first reaction from, from you. Uh, the Agard article, I, I mostly, you know, it was funny because I loved this little, um, sidebar here the limitations of engine analysis but honestly the uh annotations for the game it's a little bit like the gelfand book it was just like i can't take it you're overwhelming me <laughs> i need some clarity i need you to break it down i need you to take all this massive stuff and package it for me in this nice way that i'm going to be able to process in my small little brain like this like this limitations of engine analysis. That is fantastic. See, now, now for me, I think when I watched your review, Jesse, I, I had, I could not understand for the life of me how you came to that conclusion about that book. Um, and, and part of this is maybe that I'm, I have imbibed quite a bit of the Agard ecosystem. Um, uh -huh. Because, you know, his like thinking inside the box for me is, is, you know, one of the five most important chess books that has ever been written. Oh, interesting. Um, from, you know, at least in terms of, in terms of chess improvement, uh, you know, not in terms of like, you know, Alyekin and Capablanca or something like that, but trying to get a grip on how to think during a game. Um, yeah, for me, that's very, very important. So for me, when I read that article and when I think about some of the other things that, that Agard has written, you know, the point seems to be that at the top levels with the people he's working with, um, there is no avoiding calculation right and, and what's kind of weird is that you know th this is where not and i do not want to open up the watson agard debate again because you know th that's been something that's been going on for 20 years and still raises the cackles of both people um but on a certain level right 
modern chess is all about calculation. Um, like in that example, the the MVL uh, game that you 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 were not happy with in the uh, in the, mm, the campaign. Right. You know, I, I went and took the look. I took a look at it, right? And and so the idea was a there's there's this there's this forcing line, and then about six or seven moves in, um, MVL made a mistake, and it could have let his opponent off the hook. So, if you are trying to work on calculation, you know, a guy like MVL should be able to see candidate moves seven moves in. And it seems like you played an obvious move that maybe, you know, well, I probably wouldn't find it because I'm a potser, but, but, you know, maybe, maybe people who aren't him, um, you know, maybe if they were looking, if they were trained to look for candidates in a certain way, maybe they'd find it. Oh, oh, wait, wait, let me interject then. No, because that <laughs> was a, it was actually a thing where I spent a long time on that problem myself. I saw the move. Mm -hmm. I saw the move. The move wasn't hard to see. I'm sure that MVL saw the move, but the answers were all computer answers that no human could see. And so then uh, Agard goes in there and says, well, Queen H5 is easy to see once you see it. And no, no, but that, that, that's, that's not, not, not done. And the interesting thing, you go through the game, when you really go through the game, it's like, oh, where it gets really spicy is that dude doesn't see queen h5 because people can't queen see queen h5 no one's gonna see queen h5 and then um you know the game gets played out as a rook sacrifice mm -hmm. as a speculative rook sacrifice and that's like oh yeah that's interesting that's interesting stuff <laughs> you know but yeah, I, so. I think i think his rejoinder would be and again you know just i'm i know there is very hubristic for me to do that but mm. Um, having, you know, like, I'm like, I, I'm part of this 365 chess Academy. I've watched quite a few of his lectures and heard him talk about calculation. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when he says, oh, it's easy to see once you see it, that for him is that, that in a nutshell is what calculation is. Calculation is forcing yourself to find things or to see things that you don't immediately see. Right. So on that level, and for the people he's trying to teach to calculate better or calculate sufficiently, you know. Queen H5 is something that that should be found if you are training yourself to look for candidates. If if you're if you are actively looking for options in a position that, you know, I mean, it was like a seven or eight move forcing variation, right? Even I even I could get there. Chances are I'm not going to see Queen H5 because I'm terrible at calculating. But in terms of getting to that position and getting in my mind's eye, I'd have a reasonable chance of doing it once I saw it. Um, oh yeah, hard disagree. Not only that, but you're prime because it was called candidate moves. I learned that phrase, by the way, from Costa. Hard disagree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, once you even get there, you're primed to find some weird candidate moves. So of course, I found it, and mm -hmm. it was like I spent so much time too because I knew that there had to be something clear in there. And I, I honestly, we're talking, I guess, an hour, and I still, and I knew it had to be something like Queen H5. But I couldn't see it, and it was like, oh right, well, MVL didn't see it either. Bad problem, very yeah. bad problem. So let me let me jump in. I want to confirm what John said about like Agard's definition of calculation. I remember reading that and thinking inside yeah. the box. He has this idea like you have your pattern recognition, just the stuff you immediately recognize. Then calculation uh -huh. is like the, you know the process of finding moves that you don't immediately see. Just to clarify, so it sounds like this Queen H5 move. This wasn't the first move of a problem. This was no, a right. move that you have right. to find like six moves mm -hmm. deep. It was um the game reference is what? Um Vashir Lagrave against Pelletier from uh, like what 
2011 or 2012. Yeah, I can't remember the year. Um, but yeah, it, it. it's, it's, it's this forcing variation. And basically the point is that there's this, there's this juncture about seven moves in. Right. Um, and you know, again, it's, it's like, you know, you sack the rook, you, you sack the rook on e6, you pick up the pawn on g6 with the queen, you give some checks, you're down a rook and you either, this is a point where either your attack is going to evolve or it's going to not work. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I'm just remembering the position now because I saw Jesse's video on YouTube. Yeah. Right. 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 So we're down a rook. We're attacking with like queen and rook against king, and the enemy king is blocked by like queen and two rooks. Yes. Um, I was definitely with Jesse for that problem because when he when he showed it, you know, I was seeing the position on the board, and um, I, I look. I didn't look at it for very long, but I could imagine if I had to calculate to this position and then calculate from here. Yeah, I'm not finding Queen H5 either. <laughs> I just felt like, wow, that's that was a and, tough one. And, and my sense of it is that that like that book in particular, that book is designed specific. I mean, like the problems are on such a level that he's expecting people who read that book or who try to solve that problem to be able to see that. That like th yeah, this is a high level. It's a very high level book. Yeah, um, which, which is why it always bugs me when I see people that are like under two thousand picking up the calculation book. Because you're like, oh, well, this is just the best training. And it's like, oh, man, no, that's it's really tough. <laughs> no, calculation is insane. I mean, it, it's... Right. So it, just for reference, if people are into the problem 27 in the tests, and it's MVL Pelletier to 2011. Um, you know, and I, I just want to say, I, I feel like... Uh, the, the, where it gets really interesting to me, this is what, and this, I don't think besides perfect your chest, no one's really done this is well, first of all, what I like about the book, by the way, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not completely hating on this book. I had a couple issues. I, I, in general, I'm happy. I did, the, I, you know, study the book, um, is that I am interested in problems where in fact, someone very strong found the solution. If they didn't find the solution during the game, it's actually less valuable to me as a problem. Great. I want somebody who was able under stress to find a problem. Someone better than me found the answer to this problem. Uh, and, you know, ideally then the problem opens up like a door for me. Like, oh, right, this is a way to see a position. A lot of times the word calculation I feel is even misleading because it's oftentimes an idea. Not just like, oh, you know, if, if X, then Y and Z, you know, that kind of thing. Anyways, that's my spiel. Yeah, and, and just because, you know, I, I have to have the final word. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, no, but I, I, think, I think that what we're seeing right here is kind of like, it's kind of like the generational thing that maybe younger players who are used to working with a computer will, they, they will say, well, of course, I'm going to push myself to see the things the computer sees, right? That, that even though that, that this is where this is like for them and for, you know, for top level, you know, grandmasters who are really trying to go from 2,700 to 2,750 or something like that. The work that you have to do to improve your intuition, to improve your calculation um, is so, you know, like 99th percentile that of course it's going to seem insanely hard or, or almost useless for, you know, mm. for we, we, we mirror chess mortals. I mean, you know, I, it doesn't take much to impress me tactically. I, it takes a lot more to impress you, Jesse. Um, but I suspect that for someone like NVL, you know, 
that probably, I mean, I'm guessing if you ask MVL, if that was out of the range of his capabilities, he'd probably say no. Like that's something that probably he should have been able to see, even if it is like a computer move. Does that and, make sense? But by the way, I think there's a, a argument to be made that MVL is actually the best calculator in the world. Oh yeah. No, I, I think that, I mean, my understanding of it is, is that's absolutely true. I so think if he can't see it, I don't know. A good <laughs> compromise would be to have problems where the solution, even if it wasn't found by the player in the game, it was found by a human at some point and then mm -hmm. confirmed with the engine versus how I imagine it is it's like more of a searching process where like, right. you know, you just run mm -hmm. through the game, you find the right. moment where the engine like says, oh, this and this. And then it's kind of like this, um, yeah, can't quite figure out the term for it, but it's like, you know, once you see it, it becomes obvious. Right. Well, that's what Perfect Your Chess, the first volume, did. I'm hoping the next volume will keep to that, you know. Yeah. <sighs> okay. That was a, I, there's a lot of fighting points in here. Every time we come on Chess Dojo Talks, I want to talk more. We're, we'll definitely do more of these. A lot of topics came up tonight that we're going to have to address in other topics. Maybe me and Kosi will mull them over a little bit at uh, Sunday Night Fights. For sure. Uh, so, Kosi, we're going to come right back, and I want to give a shout-out. We got some great games already underway. We're a little late in getting started, but we have, we're have we going to get into the meat of it, into the time pressure phase coming up. Yeah, well, let me just thank John so much for, for coming yeah. on. This was a really – I think this was our longest show. Yeah, um, sorry about that. <laughs> no, not at all. Seeks to the, how, how good the, the topic was. Once again, if you guys want to follow John, uh, you can find his website and his Twitter in the chat um, where he has some useful links on his site, especially just a – very simple compiled version of Stockfish that you can plug and play into your chess space or uh, interface of choice. And um, yeah, also stay tuned for uh, the, the new November Chess Life that uh, John has been working on editing as well as uschess.org that has a bunch of great articles um, every week. And if you if you like the magazine, if, if, if you like what you see there, please subscribe, become a member of US Chess um, now more than ever. Uh, it's really important that members renew their memberships. So uh, if you like what we're doing, if you're interested in it, um, do me a favor, please do renew. Cool. I'm pretty sure I renewed for like three years. Like, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Jesse doesn't <laughs> have to do that because once you're a GM, you get it for life. That was one of the main reasons I needed to become a GM. That's <laughs> <laughs> one of the main perks that I got. Nice. All right, guys, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure and an honor for me to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, I'm going to close well, out the uh, the stream so people can watch the VOD, and then we'll be back shortly with uh, Sunday Night Fights. Take care, everyone. Great. Bye, Thanks. John. Bye.